0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash loss.
1: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Political Party podcast, this one featuring prominent Leave campaigner and Conservative MP Nigel Evans. This is the first show, obviously, after the referendum, so um, it's a wide-ranging interview and certainly um, an atmosphere that like, I haven't encountered down at the St. James Theatre before. Uh, predominantly a Remain uh, crowd, it turned out, um, but nevertheless, I think it's demonstrative uh, of the atmosphere that currently exists. I would say, uh, up and down the country, uh, one of people looking for leadership and wanting to hear something positive. Uh, and I, I certainly sense that tonight. Nigel was fantastic, um, at times very serious uh, when we talked about particular things that he's gone through, and at times very funny as well as I knew he would be. Um, so, to enjoy. <laughs> Incredible. Thanks very much. Good evening, everyone. Well, well, well. Uh, What's the... I can't... I I think... I mean... That second half was awful, wasn't it? Uh, What's Rooney playing at? Oh, my God. Well, thank you very much for coming down. This uh, is... A show I never thought <laughs> I was going to have to deal with the situation that, that we're dealing with. So I was taking... Firstly, thank you very much for coming. And I know people will have a myriad of views on the, sort of, this swirling news agenda that's happening at the moment. So thank you for coming. But um, we take a straw poll uh, every month during the referendum, so I think it's only fair to do one final one. So give me a cheer if you voted to remain in the EU. Yay! And give me a cheer if you voted to fuck everything up. <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> We'll come on to that in the second half, but uh, <laughs> the most, oh my god, I mean I can't, we have to, well, we, we're going to have to laugh about it all anyway, right, because otherwise my career's over, so we're just going to <laughs> we're gonna have to find some comfort in or whichever way we vote, and do that respectfully, but I was, I don't know where you watched it, but I was at, I got invited to the Stronger Inn, Party uh, at the Royal Festival Hall. I thought oh, that'd be fun. It's something nice to go along and feel part of an election-winning machine again, and uh, be a real, be a, be a real laugh. And, uh, <laughs> so I've been at a birthday party where it turns out the birthday boy has died. And, uh, we're going to bury him immediately. <laughs> you know, I'm trying, yeah. It was, the, it was the most tragic thing I remember I'll never forget because you sort of overlook, you've never been to the festival before it overlooks Big Ben and the London Eye and I remember standing out there with a beer at sort of 10 o'clock thinking Ah, oh, what a great place to be and then at 4 o'clock thinking what a shit place to be <laughs> screaming why at the London Eye at half 4 in the morning with a bag of chips was, oh, it's what democracy I, I felt so bad I, I don't know if anyone here actually, actually break it to anyone what had happened but I got a taxi home that morning and the taxi driver had been asleep and uh, he, I think it was from Africa, Because he uh, Hello, my friend, how was your evening? I said, oh, shit, we've, we've left the EU. And he went, fucking hell, what, man? I was like, hey, don't, I don't need this, not now. Man. <laughs> we fucking, well, I went to bed, it was 52.48, and we were staying in the EU. I was like, mate, I, I know, I've been through this. <laughs> I've been through this and about 10 pints of Moretti. Like, I'm not the guy you needs to be into to. But obviously, I mean, we'll, we'll deal with the EU thing. But the, since, obviously, everything's going on with Corbyn. And like the la- I've been watching BBC News solid for the, for the last three days. I mean, the Labour leadership crisis, I've got to say, is one of the best box sets I've ever seen. <laughs> Incredible. I'm just at the bit where the unions have got involved, so no spoilers. Um, paused it until the end of the gig. Fucking hell. I can't... I mean, the reshuffle itself was so... But I've never heard about of these people, right? And I watch <laughs> politics every day and you're like, Sh- Shadow Treasury Minister, the fucking honey monster. This-, <laughs> this is getting ridiculous. My favourite one, though, is uh, Kate Osama. Uh, she's been laden uh, since she took over the. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't like that one, that's interesting. Uh, the Labour Shadow Cabinet now doesn't have a uh, Shadow Scottish Secretary because the only Labour MP in Scotland has resigned. <laughs> but, yeah did this photo call, have you seen the photo call where it's him sat next to Tom Watson <laughs> um, which is uh, there's a Shakespearean element to him <laughs> sat there, who would have known Tom Watson would have turned out to be a backstabber I and mean, I just can't believe
0: almost, <laughs> weird.
1: anyway um, and there's this great bit where Corbyn sat there around this square table and loads of empty seats um, I can sympathise and there's um, <laughs> a bit where he looks at the camera and goes shameless. And not, he doesn't say, I don't think this is a good idea. What he says is crucially is I don't think this is a good idea either. <laughs> <laughs> either. What an important caveat, either. Another fucking shadow. <laughs> Just amazing. Amazing watching it. Um, Pat Glass, one of the most incredible shadow ministerial records, was appointed as a shadow minister and then resigned two days later. Um, I mean, to be fair to Glass, you know, a lot of people said she was a pain. Um, You know, you can see right through her, really. You know, I mean, I always said she was fragile, but uh, apparently she's broken now. And uh, I really ran out of style. I really really thought you'd go with me on that. Um, And today, all the stuff that's happened today, when Ed Miliband is giving you lectures on leadership... (laughs) Probably time to fuck up, mate. (laughs) if he's anything I do from leadership, uh, 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 and that's not much. <laughs> it has got no know fuck off. Just incredible taking lectures off him. The Tories are having their own leadership election as well. Uh, Stephen crapper has got involved, he's now... I know. Uh, there's so many obvious jokes about, you know... You just... <laughs> I can't even bring myself to say the phrase sideways move, but I, I just did. And uh, you just think... It, Potentially, at the next election, it's Crab versus Eagle, which is a sort of it's a really shit, really shit horror film. Mega Crab versus Octo Eagle or whatever. And now Fox has got involved. So fucking hell, Fox, Crab, Eagle. I mean, if Fox and Hunt team up, that'd be an incredible <laughs> Just remarkable how, uh, how lucky we... I mean, if, if you're a follower of Stephen Gray, Blair is Blair, right? Like, Cameron is a Cameroon. What is a follower of crab? Like, just the crabs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've, been had a, we've had an outbreak of crabs in the Tory party. I've been at conference, have you? Yeah, it gets like that, doesn't it? People <laughs> will get randy when they're away, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Farage has handled the mood badly, I think. I mean, we'll we deal with the referendum now. I think Farage turned up at the... If you haven't seen him, turns up at the uh, European Parliament and goes, Well, 30 years ago, I came here. and he said, I wanted to take Britain out of the EU, and you all laughed at me. Well, you're not laughing now. And you go, Mate, that couldn't have gone down worse if it had turned up and just gone, Hello, bitches. <laughs> what are you doing? He's the sort of guy would rub your hair if you scored an own goal, isn't he? You're a fucking arsehole. <laughs> I can do that now, mate. <laughs> fucking hurting. Bastards. Um, but I do worry I worry about the fallout from the referendum for both sides. Obviously, the, uh, the racist attacks are really, really concerning. But equally, the way that people are talking about a lot of the elderly, because elderly people have voted leave, and people aren't fucking happy about it. You, think, you can't just, like... Firstly, I mean, if we live in a country where instead of trashing kebab shops, we start trashing old people's homes, that'll be a real... <laughs> A real change uh, for the world. People setting fire to Werther's factories to try and get their own back. <laughs> I don't think it'd be a positive move. And you just think, you can't... You can't take out on old people because the, everyone's got a right to vote. Like, you can't... In a sort of odd way, you have to go, well, they have been here longer and they've seen a lot more. Like, maybe... Maybe they're right. And then you go, nah. <laughs> Fucking racist old bastards.
0: <laughs> Bad
1: though, isn't it? Because obviously, Stronger In knew that was going to be a problem because they had that talk to Gran campaign where they were saying, look, basically, torture Gran. Even if she's mad, fucking get her down
0: there. and
1: remain. Turns out it shouldn't have been talk to Gran, it should have been torture Gran. Really <laughs> really go hard. Um, but the scare obviously, is something that people are reflecting on from this referendum campaign. I mean, I have to say, at no point was I actually scared.
0: <laughs> at no point was I waking
1: up in the night going, Oh! God, sorry, I thought you were a bureaucrat. Do not <laughs> fucking... Do not creep up on me like that. I'm at my wits end there. This referendum has petrified me. Go to the doctor for sleeping pills. What is it? Stress at work? No, mate. It's this fucking referendum. <laughs> I'm petrified. It's bad because some... The reason why green is used is because some of it works. And I think sometimes if you go back to sort of... The, uh, the experiences that inform you as a child, you can sort of prove that green works. If your mum says to you, don't drink that bleach. If you drink that bleach, you'll die. You go... I'm going to stop drinking bleach now. <laughs> Let me stop after my third pint. <laughs> but it makes stops you doing it, doesn't it? It's that jolt that makes you go, that is definitely a serious threat, I'm taking it seriously. So in a way, some scaremongering works. In the same way that other scaremongering from childhood doesn't work. Oh, if you carry on, you'll go blind.
0: <laughs>
1: Bullshit. Five a day, 2020. It's <laughs> fucking horrible, that joke, isn't it? But... It is true which I think matters in in Britain today. <laughs> Some of this game it'd be interesting to see how much of project fear you know actually comes true and I think certainly the uncertainty thing I don't know if you remember Cameron said is look if we leave at the on, on June the 23rd, what will follow is 10 years of uncertainty and, and that's twice as long as World War 2. Well, thanks for letting me know how long 10 years is. I mean, I never needed a decade expressing... I've got no idea. What? Between 1992 and, ni- and 2002, what would you call that? A decade? Nah, I just think twice as long as World War II would be a better way of summing it up. Who else expresses time in terms of bloodshed?
0: <laughs>
1: no one ever says, oh, I'm waiting for this sofa to be delivered, man. It's been 15 days already, and that's half as long as the Greco-Turkish conflict of 1897. <laughs> Know, Ten Years of Uncertainty, of course. The awful sequel to 12 Years a Slave. It really was a very tedious
0: affair.
1: It interesting to see if that comes So Obviously, the big one that people are really talking about in terms of being misled is this uh, $350 million a week for the NHS. Um, and now Boris and Nigel and Michael will come out and say, no, no, it wasn't a promise. It was a theoretical aspiration. And you just think, if you're going to tell a lie, right, don't write it on the side of a fucking bus, right? <laughs> because I would, never, I would never hire a bus with on the side written, this is definitely my last pint, I will be home for dinner.
0: <laughs>
1: Just ridiculous. The SNP now, obviously, are supercharged because they can now frame another referendum in Scotland as not leaving the UK but joining the EU, and Nicola Sturgeon's been out there... Um, It's all patronising Europeans in the way that she's patronised British people for a long time. So it's nice to see her exporting that. Uh, The thing is now, is that it's kind of a shame that it's done that. Because the SNP, until now, have just been trying to get their hands on any excuse to leave the UK they could get their hands on. And now this arguably legitimises it, which is quite tragic for those of us who believe in the EU and the UK. But they were looking for anything. In fact, during the Euro 2016 tournament, one of their MPs got up after the England rush again, they have been all that trouble and says, could English football hooligans with their undercurrent of racism not learn from the Tartan army, who are respected whenever we travel abroad uh, and this Labour MP just sort of got up and said yeah, is she aware that six Rangers players were knocked unconscious at Ibrox three weeks ago <laughs> hey, but that's different that was internal <laughs> <laughs> Alright, it's a real great moral difference, that, isn't it? We're better than you? We only kick the shit out of ourselves. There's a very good reason why the Tartan Army Scotland's fans are respected and don't cause trouble at major international tournaments. Oh. They're never fucking there. Yeah. Watch me do that gag in Edinburgh. Yeah. yeah, there's a reason why you lot are respected abroad. You're, you're very nice people. It's a pleasure to be here. Because <laughs> oh, I, wonder, I wonder about... Because the thing is, in politics, ideas spread, and you only need to see revolutionary Europe to know that. Ideas spread quick, and I think once an anti-establishment vote has been established, and if, and if the peace now isn't won effectively by both sides, that this sort of thing, this contagion, could could spread. And you look to America and think, if they see that actually you can overthrow an established view, then is Donald Trump's election more likely? And I was in New York recently, and I was asking everyone there who they were going to vote for, and nearly everyone was voting for Donald Trump, including a taxi driver I spoke to. And I said, uh, "Who are you going to vote for? And he said, I'm voting for Donald Trump, buddy. I said, why? And his, his answer chilled me. He said, crazy times need a crazy guy. <laughs> <laughs> said, no, 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 no. Crazy times need a sensible guy to stop the crazy times. What sort of logic is that? Yeah, I really need to give up drinking. I'm just going to hang around with Charlie Sheen and Gaza for a fortnight. <laughs> I think that'll really sort things out. Um, we've got a phenomenal guest in the second half, a man I've admi- uh, admired for, for very many years, and uh, certainly, I'm sure, will help help us all come to terms with um, what the fuck is going on. <laughs> uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, as always, oh no, I must before we go any further, um, we had to cancel the EU referendum special, and I know um, a lot of you had tickets for that. That was at the Leicester Square Theatre. We cancelled it because it was the weekend when campaigning was suspended after the awful murder of Joe Cox. And I just thought it it would have been completely inappropriate and actually impossible to try and make comedy out of politics at that time. So I'm sorry to those of you who brought tickets. We're going to try and reschedule it and do something else. But I hope you understand that that would have just been unforgivable, really, to go ahead with that. So... um, Good job I didn't do that announcement at the start, but uh, (laughs) there we go. Um, And for the, you know, I I just know that a lot of people who come in knew knew her, and she was a wonderful talent. So, um, yes, I I thought about marking, I didn't know her personally, so I thought it would be inappropriate to mark someone that I didn't fully know, but I think we should all sort of pay our respects however we, you know, would um, tonight. And uh, anyway, there we are. I thought we should sort of recognise that we've lost a phenomenal talent as a country, and I think the (laughs) referendum. The referendum sort of, of, in a way, sort of sadly moved that down the agenda, but the the death of someone is is far bigger than anything that's uh, about to happen. So anyway, uh, as always, you're a wonderful crowd. We'll have a break, and then we'll be back with a phenomenal uh, Nigel Evans. Thank you very much. See you in a bit. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. And uh, I'm really delighted, actually, that um, we've got the guest that we've got tonight, because I think it's very important to have someone um, from the side that won. Um, to <laughs> explain to us um, how it's all going to work out. I mean, um, and I, and I, do, I do think, in all honesty, I do think at the moment that, that there is a big opportunity for politics to actually fill this void. I think there's one of the few times in my life where people genuinely are looking to politicians with a sense of hope that politics is going to provide people with some uh, answers. And I think hopefully we'll get some tonight as well. Uh, Nigel is someone that I've always wanted to interview anyway. Um... Partly because he's always been one of the funniest MPs. He was phenomenal as uh, Deputy Speaker to John Burko. I remember him first being a member of William Hague's uh, team from 97 to 01, um, and he was absolutely a superb performer and always had a, a note of levity, which I respected. Um, anyway, it goes without saying that he will be a phenomenal guest. Please. However, way you voted in the referendum, <laughs> and it goes without saying that every single night we've done here, people have always been very respectful, and we need to uh, bear that in mind as well. Please give a huge, huge reception to Mister Nigel Evans. <laughs> <laughs> Hello,
2: Nigel. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Who said politics is boring?
1: <laughs> um, not, that, not this week. No. Um, so what? What the fuck happens now? <laughs>
2: well, plan A is we leave the European <laughs> Union. Yep. Uh, I, I do apologise because I heard you all shout that you were all for Remain, as uh, most of London was. It was a North Korean uh, vote that you had in London. Uh, 103% voted to Remain. In London. So, well done. <laughs> but uh, just north of Watford, where uh, it's the nosebleed territory, uh, they decided otherwise. So uh, we are a United Kingdom. Just. <laughs> I mean, Last time I looked, anyway.
1: Do you worry about, the, now, the implications? You mentioned the United Kingdom. Do you worry that Scotland might leave now? Um, well, do you know, that's a decision for them.
2: And I do respect it. I'm a, I'm a Welsh bloke. And, uh, I'm uh, and so... Um, <laughs> as you may tell. Uh, uh, and, you know, it's just up to them. Uh, they, they had their referendum a couple of years ago, and they decided now. And um, Nicola Sturgeon uh, is uh, goading them into another one at some stage, sometime soon. Um, and uh, we'll just see what they say. But it is, it is their decision at the end of the day. You know, um, the one thing that, I, uh, that uh, Project Fear taught me over the last eight weeks, and I really did get irritated by it, I'm, I'm just still waiting for the Dalek invasion... Uh, of the United Kingdom, which is
1: probably anytime soon. Well, I think they're the uh, next members of uh, Corbyn's shadow cabinet, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Exterminate. <laughs> uh, we'll
2: see, we'll see, uh, we'll, we'll see. But it's, it's, it's up to, it's going to be up to the Scots to decide what they want to do. Um, it, it's been made all the more interesting by Nicola uh, heading to Brussels to have high-level discussions, uh, whilst uh, the Spanish Prime Minister says, no way. No way, Jose. You are not, you're, you're not joining under no circumstances because we all know the um, intricacies of what's happening in Spain at the moment um, in Catalonia and the Basque regions. And the last thing they want is for them to go AWOL. So... Um, so, could Scotland survive outside the, um, outside the United Kingdom? It's always struck me as a bit odd, I don't know about you guys, but I've, I've always found it a bit odd. They want independence from England, but they don't mind 60% of their laws being made by Brussels. I mean, it's just me, right? I, I, I understand that. I understand that completely. But, could Scotland survive outside of the UK and outside of the European Union, which is what they are facing? I think the answer is probably yes, they could. You know, it's up to them. Let let, let them make their judgment and uh, let them decide. But would you would that upset you as a Conservative and Unionist? Of course, course. I love my Union Jack.
1: (laughs) I've got Union Jack uh, cufflinks on. Yeah, well, I've I've got Union Jack underpants on.
2: (laughs) 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 That 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 was a a vote Leave lie. I'm afraid. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, if that would have been on the side of the bus, that would have been incredible. Yeah, my fans on the side of the bus, thank you. Yeah, no. uh,
1: so in terms of the campaign itself, was it enjoyable?
2: In part... Um, It went on a bit long, didn't it? I mean, I don't know what you guys felt, but it just seemed like an eternity from the uh, beginning when um, David Cameron said, uh, of course we'll be okay outside the European Union. Uh, We're the fifth strongest economy, members of the G7, G20, uh, a leading member of the Commonwealth, permanent seat on the Security Council, of course we'll be okay, uh, to uh, eight weeks later, Armageddon and the Plague of Locusts. Uh, So, to me, it seemed an eternity um, um, uh, as far as the length of it was concerned, but we were in incredible territory, to be honest, because um, uh, he allowed the uh, his party basically to go and play uh, on their own. You do what you like; you haven't got to follow how I say. And fairly well, half the party did just that, and they went and said, "No, I think we prefer to be outside the European Union." There, uh, thank you, Prime Minister. Uh, and so um, it was just a fascinating, fascinating moment in time. You're all part of history, by the way. What we did last Thursday uh, will go down in history books. And, you know, people will read about it for hundreds of years as to how it is that um, 98% of the elite told you one thing and the British public decided to do a gel'd off to them <laughs> and uh, decided they just wanted a go. It's amazing.
1: Amazing. Yeah, I mean, not, not all big events in history are, are studied for the right reasons. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think of most of the things I was taught at school were bloody I said, Danny, Danny Finkelstein was <laughs> clapping <laughs> at that, by the way. That, that'll be in tomorrow's column in the Times. <laughs> um, but uh, as a campaigner, because it, it must have felt different to general election campaigns.
2: Yeah, I mean, totally, absolutely. I mean, for instance, um, it sort of crossed party borders for a start. I mean, you're seeing people from, you know, who normally hate one another uh, in the Chamber of the House of Commons, all of a sudden, you know, David Cameron and Harriet Harman smiling at one another outside um, wherever it was. I mean, it's just incredible. And Tim Farron, who, you know, to be fair, he does unite the country in hating him. So uh, he was here last last month and he was lovely. The gang of eight. God bless him. I, I, I've got to laugh, there. I mean, it does take a special sort of Lib Dem who decided to use the coalition to make absolutely certain we've got fixed-term parliament. And now you get them standing up in the House of Commons and saying, call a general election now!
1: <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. I mean, things feel very different now, don't they, already? The, the referendum seems to change people's minds and the way that they feel about their own country. I mean, and a lot of that in a negative way. I mean, yeah. it does feel like Britain needs to heal at the moment. Yeah. Who who is capable? We just
2: had a love-in at uh, the Saatchi Gallery this evening for the Tory party, where we all got together and smiled at one another.
1: (laughs) So uh, that was nice. And has that helped?
2: No. (laughs) (laughs) Of course not. No, we've got the leadership uh, battle to get over uh, yet, so uh, that's going to take a a little while. How
1: bloody is that going to be, do you think?
2: Uh, Well, the first... Well, the nominations have opened, and they close at 12 noon tomorrow. And so we're probably looking at at least five, if not six, um, runners and riders um, who are going to put their names forward. Now, some of them we see as serious, and others I see as leveraging for a job after this is all over. Didn't they Uh, (laughs) understand (laughs) it? (laughs) <laughs> so, um, I mean, um, I was even thinking of putting my own name forward as uh, leader of the Tory party, but they put the bar too high. Um, you needed a proposer and a seconder. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, 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 I don't... <laughs> uh, I'm going to see what... Well, I mean, we've got about five or six candidates. And the first, um, we got Hustings on Monday at 530 uh, when the entire Tory party will get into room 10. And each candidate's got a quarter of an hour to say what they like and answer questions. And so we'll just see what happens then. And then they'll vote on Tuesday between 11am and 6pm. And you're supporting Boris? I am. Why? Nice bloke. <laughs> uh, I tell you what, because um, he took hold of the Vote Leave campaign when we were 10 points behind. Uh, and we won. It was incredible. Um, he was, I think, a pretty successful mayor of London. Um, he, he did a lot of good, I think, while, while she was doing that. To actually win and then win again is quite difficult in London, as we know. Uh, he uh, was mayor at a particularly uh, amazing time when we held the Olympics as well. Nothing went wrong. Uh, and I just think that he deserves a chance. I think it should be, I think it should be somebody on the Leave side um, who gets the opportunity to become Prime Minister. And, uh, and he seems to have won a few people over, including Nicholas Soames, unbelievably. I mean, Nicholas, um, uh, as you know, is 112, but has discovered Twitter. And uh, he is now like a child and tweeting all the time. Uh, and he did throughout the entire um, campaign. Um, he was for Remain. And now he seems to be backing Boris. So uh, uh, Boris seems to—we've called him the Heineken uh, um, politician—that he reaches parts of Britain that other politicians oh. uh, doesn't. I'm sorry about that. that—is is, that—is that, is that
1: advertising? Oh no, that's fine. I I not, so, I'm I'm just, just, its just that Heineken gives a lot of people a headache. <laughs> well, <laughs> makes, makes and, a lot of people feel sick. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: I tell you what he did do—he came up to my constituency. He came to an auction mart. This is where you sell animals. And um, only Boris, uh, when uh, he was asked, you know, do you mind auctioning a cow? (laughs) How much did he go for, Boris? 900. (laughs) Anyway, the cow went for 960 quid. Uh, And I said to him, uh, only, you know, this is a politician. You say to him, have you ever auctioned a cow before? He said, oh, yes. (laughs) I mean, that that is the first unreal um, um, answer to a question. And, uh, and and it's amazing. Farmers, hard nosed as they are, right? They're very cynical people. They're all <laughs> queuing up, queuing up to have selfies done with Boris. <laughs> yeah. And it it just seems as if he, you know, it doesn't matter where he goes, um, people seem to like him. He's
1: definitely a star. Yeah. But is he prime ministerial material? And um, because in a in a in a campaign, he can be jovial and energise people. But is he capable of dealing with a terrorist attack or an economic shock?
2: Yeah, I, I absolutely think he is. And when he was mayor of London for eight years, of course, you know, clearly we had a number of issues that he had to deal with. And I think he did it in a sensible way. And just like, um, uh, I mean, David Cameron, I I didn't back David Cameron to become leader of the party. I didn't even fairly well know who David was. And I think at the end of it, you know, um, David Cameron was absolutely superb. He rose to the position. I mean, the way that he behaves at the dispatch box is absolutely brilliant. I mean, I'm, I, I was to vote leave and I was one of the guys that wanted him to remain. Um, uh, on, on Wednesday, he called me a quitter. By Friday, he resigned. I mean, you know, that's, that's the territory we are in at the moment. It's all totally surreal.
1: But has Boris got the... I don't doubt that he's got the intellectual capacity, but does, does he have the political temperament to deal with? Yeah, listen, it's not a one-man back, which kids. is the most
2: important thing. He'll have a team around him and Michael Gove... I thought was uh, hello. (laughs) (laughs) Have we got some teachers? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's teachers or lawyers.
1: Teachers or lawyers. They hate it. Or just (laughs) voters these days. (laughs) Get the (laughs) electorate. Get the (laughs) (laughs)
0: electorate.
1: But I I do worry. You know, if there's a a terrorist attack on the Shard or the Tube or something like that, and then Prime Minister Boris is, I, 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 what the yeah these. Chappies, I mean, come on. I mean, will they? Will they not knock it off? I mean, they really are. They've got some bloody gumption, I tell you. I, you know, I really would. I just Cameron. Whatever you think, I think even Cameron's harshest critics would say, in a crisis, there's something calming and reassuring about Cameron. Something essentially prime ministerial about him. Boris is Boris going to have to change his persona a bit? Do you think? Well, I think he already has. I think he has already started to be. Um, a little bit more
2: serious, you know, when, when um, he needs to bring that impression. And, and I, I've already seen it as he walks around. But the, the fact is that wherever he goes, there's a crowd, you know? And the one thing that we need to do, I'm talking as a Tory here. Um, anyway, let, let's do this one, because you didn't do this one. How many of you voted Conservative at the last election? Yeah, yes. oh, no, not too bad. <laughs> oh, well, let's do this one then. How many of you would like to see Boris as Prime Minister? Danny, break the news to him tomorrow (laughs) You
1: can't trust polling these days, can you? That's right, yeah (laughs) (laughs) What do the pollsters know? Well, that's right Is there a sense within politics, actually, that polling is broken? And how can pollsters fix it? I mean, maybe that's not a question for Well, I tell you,
2: um, I stood most of uh, the day on Thursday on the A59 in Clitheroe with a banner that said, Vote Leave. And this is sophisticated campaigning here. And I would wave it at the traffic as it was uh, passing with a few mates, because I didn't want to be too lonely. And uh, I can tell you now, 98% of truckers want to leave the European (coughs) Union. I heard every noise on the A59 from trucks. If if ever I was feeling a bit despondent after eight cars ignored me, I said, oh, there's a truck coming. And I did this. (laughs) It was brilliant. Uh, 95% of motorcyclists want to leave. Uh, Particularly the hairy ones. Those with big (laughs) beards, they definitely want to leave. 95% of caravanners want to remain. I mean, seriously, I was judging them in the end. And the Audi drivers were about
1: 60% for remain, 40% for leave. OK, so let's just uh, stop. So truckers, you would think, actually, that they um, probably drive a lot of them over the continent because of the containerisation of the economy and all the rest of it. Yeah. But they don't like it. Yep. But caravanners drive around the continent, and they do like it.
2: Yeah, I know. What was most worrying is when um, the truckers, who clearly do drive for a living, and so one thinks that they know what they're doing, it's when they decided not <laughs> to go, ah they decided to tell you uh, with thumbs up uh, that they wished to remain. And when they did this, <laughs> which a lot of them did, like, uh, where's your hands? Go get one of them on the wheel. I thought carnage at some stage on the A59. Did you get any abuse from people doing oh, that? Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There were other gesticulations. <laughs> What's, did, we, did anyone shout anything? Oh, we, we had a lot of Bob Geldofs who were driving uh, around on the A59. Yeah, we had a few v signs. How would you take that? A smile. <laughs> uh, because four seconds later, they're gone. <laughs> uh, and, and 12 seconds later, a trucker arrived. <laughs> you should have had... You know one of those stingers <laughs> that the police used to use? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> people didn't... Uh, who? I mean, we see thousands of people. It was, it was incredible, actually, doing that sort of campaign. And they do it in America, and I, Uh, And I've done a lot on American politics over the years. And I always thought, why do they do that? Visibility. Visibility. Standing in a street corner, waving at people. I think, oh, why are they waving at traffic? But it it got me through the day. And I got my suntan. (laughs) Got me a suntan. And it actually, uh, I know you guys had heavy rain on Thursday. It was sunshining in the Ribble Valley. We call it
1: the Dribble Valley normally because (laughs) it's normally pouring down. But it was good weather. I just wonder if, because it's not a particularly British campaigning tool, the visibility thing, whether people no. just thought, oh, God, he's, he's broken down. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Six less to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not,
2: I'm not going to do it at the general election. I tell you that now. I mean, it would be depressing uh, at a general election, I think. But as you said,
1: it sort of broke down all sorts of barriers, uh, having a referendum of, of this style. So with Vote Leave uh, being cross-party, who, who are the, some of the people that you worked with From other parties that you perhaps haven't worked with before? Uh,
2: Well, UKIP. Um, There was um, um, Paul Natal and Steve Wolfe from the North West. So I went on the UKIP battle bus. We went to Nantwich, Lee and Blackpool. And how was that? Brilliant. I mean, serious, brilliant. Um, we, We got off the bus in Nantwich and in Lee and we actually talked to people. In Blackpool, we didn't have the time. So we just waved at people, and it was a good response. It was, and, and Blackpool, <laughs> Blackpool was a pretty good result. in the I
1: can't end. believe how much waving played a part in
2: this.
1: <laughs> the Queen's got <laughs> nothing on me, I tell you, <laughs> in more ways than one. So uh, <laughs> I can't believe that's. I mean, there is something. i was supposed to make you feel good. It's nice some people wave back, but
0: yeah, it's
2: inspiring
1: people to vote.
2: Ah, no, we went back up and down, up and down the seafront in Blackpool. We saw the same people a few times. <laughs> Oh, it was good. So what's it like on the UKIP party Sorry, campaign bus. Uh, <laughs> was it was all right. It was all right. No, it was fine. Um, now and again, we, uh, when we were leaving Nantwich uh, as you know, it's a very um, um, tree-laden area, and so you had to put your heads down. We, were on, we had Guardian journalists on with us as well, so they were um,
1: reporting... Shit scared. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: so in terms, of, in terms of what happened, I mean, well, let's just take the result. Where were you when the result came in? And ah, were, right. This how what, much yes, of a so shock. I want to was
2: tell it? you. Uh, I uh, at ten o'clock when the polls closed, I was um, in my house listening to the news. Yeah. As you can imagine, I I I, I, I thought we were going to win, and the news. The pound is up, shares are up. YouGov say seven point lead for Remain. Nigel Farage has conceded. That was the news. Yeah. And I thought, oh dear. I then went down to the Clitheroe Count to have a look to see what was happening there. And all I could see were, they bundled them all together randomly. All I could see was Remain votes. And I thought, oh my God, I've even called my own constituency wrong here. My God. And so I then went down to the uh, National Centre in Manchester. And it was when I had the radio on and they said, Newcastle is in. The Newcastle result, as you recall. Newcastle voted Remain but a very, very narrow margin. And people were expecting a huge margin for Remain in Newcastle. And so I had a, a, a mate of mine following me on a motorbike. I stopped on the, one of the main roads into Manchester, stopped him, and I, said, I told him what the result was, and I said, something is happening. By the time I got to Manchester Town Hall, I walked into the room where all the TVs were and where politicians of all sorts, so Remain and Leave, were sitting there looking at the results. And I looked at a politician called Kate Green, and she had death written over her face. And I thought, there's clearly been other results. She's not happy. And as you know, as the results came in, um, Remain sort of got to about 200,000 at one stage, and then London came in. The big London seats, 75% or whatever, coming in, and uh, uh, Remain were in the lead for about 20 minutes, and then... Um, I turned to the bloke next to him and I said, God, this isn't looking good, is it? He said, don't worry, all of Scotland have voted now. (laughs) That was the key. All of Scotland have voted now. And he said, and we've looked at uh, the way it's going. We were getting some of the results in before it was announced. He said, I think we're going to do this. And then, of course, uh, when it went over a million um, and Jonathan, uh, sorry, David Dimbleby announced that uh, the 1975 referendum result has been overturned.
1: And what did you do at that point? Cried. T- t- tears of joy. Yes,
2: no, I cried. I, I, I looked across at Gisela Stewart. She said, what have we done? <laughs> <laughs> and, but, we, we, seriously, seriously. <laughs> seriously. Because none of us thought in our wildest dreams that um, the people would have, in the end, come with us. Even though I predicted we'd do it, you just
1: thought, ah, I can't see it happening. So, why the level of emotion, then? Is this something that really has been a big part of your political life?
2: Yeah, I I mean, yeah, for me, it is. I'm a Member of Parliament at Westminster. I legislate on your behalf, and um, I would rather like to legislate 100% of the time for 100% of the British people. And the way that Europe is going, I mean, I don't think Juncker gets it. I still don't think he gets it. Tusk gets it. You know, I think that there is a move now in loads of parts of uh, Europe to say, hold on now, we're not happy with this. I don't know if any of you have seen the, uh, uh, the uh, Barack Obama interview uh, this evening, where, you know, Barack is saying, Europe is saying, pause. Mm. Um, it's a rather more considered Barack Obama than the one that uh, um, came ho- over a few months ago uh, on uh, David Cameron's uh, plane ticket to tell us all, you're going to be at the back of the queue.
1: Uh, completely different, totally measured. But people do worry now, don't they, about Britain's place in Europe and Britain's place in the world. And this is the country feels like it's in a state of flux. I mean, do you think people are right to be concerned about the effect on the economy and the effect of our sort of stature? I think things are going to be just fine. I mean, I
2: I thought Project Fear went over um, into overdrive. And the uh, Brexit budget thing that uh, George did uh, right at the end. I mean, he, he took one day to frighten pensioners, the next to frighten disabled, and then he worked out there were still some people he hadn't frightened, and he gave it a go. And we thought, no. And all of a sudden, 80, 80 of us had signed a letter to say, under no circumstances will we support that budget. No way. And so um, I, I literally do think, look, geographically, we're still where we are. I, I wish we could drag Britain a bit further south so that we could get a bit more sunshine, but we can't. We are where we are. Yeah, we're going to trade with uh, Europe. And already we've got New Zealand. Um, we've got Canada. We've got Australia. We've got South Korea. China. They're all talking about doing trade deals with the UK. It's a lot easier to do trade deals with one country than it is with 28. But I, I think... think see, just to please you, just one... Th- I think T-tip's dead, yes. by the way. You yes. uh, are <laughs> Are you happy with that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that Ttip T-tip is him. dead. Um, and we will do a deal now, I'm
1: sure, between the United Kingdom and the United States. In terms of results like then, because one thing that I was struck by was the results coming in and the value of the pound <laughs> dropping uh, even more dramatically than the, than the chances of Remain winning. I mean, was there any point that you were watching that thinking, we've fucked this up, this is really bad?
2: No, of course. Of course I was concerned for, for the first two days. And now look at it. I mean, the pounds uh, come back to 135 today. The shares are way up. Um, and, I mean, I mean that's what the stock market does in any event. I mean, what seemed to me that happened was that the bankers all thought that Remain was going to win, and therefore, you know, did what bankers do. And uh, now they, then they started selling uh, immediately, uh, the result was known, and now it's correcting itself again. So, I mean, yeah, there's going to be uncertainty, I'm sure, over the next uh, several months, but the more we can be positive about it, the more we can get out there and start to do trade deals. And the more that people get confidence again that you know, the United Kingdom, outside the European Union, is
1: just going to be absolutely fine. But for things like the City of London, where you've got major investors now saying they're having to pause and rethink whether they do actually keep located here. And the amount of jobs that, that, that rest on that, is there not any part of you that thinks that's not a price worth paying?
2: No, we've got, to, we've got to make absolutely certain that uh, in our negotiations that we have with the European Union that we get a good deal. We've got a £67 billion trade deficit with the EU. Um, uh, even you've only got to stand on the A59 on referendum day to count <laughs> the Audis, BMWs and Mercedes cars. I mean, they're, God, they're every other one. Uh, uh, we've got a £20 billion trade deficit with Germany alone. Already the car manufacturers are knocking at uh, Angela Merkel's door saying, for God's sake, don't do something stupid with uh, the UK. Um, There is that element which says they want to do something cruel to us uh, because they don't want anybody else to leave. Mm. I know, I understand where that's coming from. But I think there are just too many other countries there out there who may just follow suit. You know, um, uh, Sweden, um, uh, Denmark, the Netherlands, they're all looking. There are elements within their own countries that are unhappy at the way that it's gone. And they just might uh, decide to do, and this is a game you can play at home, a Dexit, a Frexit, a Chexit, a <laughs> exit um, you just name it. You know, there's a number of other countries out there. <laughs> <but> Sexit.
1: <laughs> 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 the first time we shouted that, the dirty old bug. <laughs> um, I just, I worry as well, though, for Britain's role globally. And I worry that it diminishes on the international stage. And I think, on the whole, we've been a responsible global actor and we're now seen as a sort of inward-looking country rather than an outward-looking one.
2: Well, actually, perversely, I think we're more outwardly looking. There's 195 countries, uh, only 27 now, I think, technically, in the European Union. And so we are looking to the rest of the world. Um, We've always been global players. And uh, we lost our WTO seat. Uh, Now we can get it back. Uh, now, we can start to do deals with uh, individual countries,
1: which we couldn't before. It had to be the European Union that did it for us. The big debate now seems to be about whether we stay in the single, the single market or
2: not.
0: Mm.
1: Do you think we should? Um, I just
2: want to trade as much as I can with the European Union. I know it's a, a shrinking market for us, but it's still an important market for us. And I still think that we could trade with them um, uh, and do a deal with them without having to take the free movement of labour. It was one of the important things for them. I understand that. And so people go, are you going to do a Norway? Are you going to do a Switzerland? I mean, I was always worried about doing a Switzerland, which meant that we would just be relying on making clocks, watches, and making chocolate. I mean, we had to do something more than that. Yeah. And so I think that there is every reality that, you know, because of the way that we are, that we could do a Britain. So people in the... You know, finally, we'll say, well, actually, they we didn't need to do a Norway or a Switzerland, they've actually done a Britain. We're strong enough. We're the fifth largest economy still uh, in the world, and um, there's no reason at all why we should have to do a Norway or a Switzerland. And I mean, the, the amazing thing is that there are 21 countries that export more to the European Union
1: from outside the European Union than we do. In terms of the way the campaign was run, a lot of people say, talk about this You know, this 350 million quid and it going hmm. on the NHS. I mean, on one level you can say, fine, that's theoretical, but Vote Leave did give a pretty strong impression that yeah. that was all going to go I on mean, the I,
2: NHS. I mean, I, I'm sure many of you have seen the, uh, uh, the England football team bus. And yeah. on it it says, the England team earn £175 million a week. We'd better, be, better spend it on the <laughs> NHS. I mean, you know... Um, the fact is that the 350 million was always a gross figure, which uh, everybody accepted, uh, a quarter of which not everyone did <laughs> which nobody in London accepts but um, it, uh, the, the 350 million was made up of um,
0: oh, no. <laughs> Oh Nigel.
1: (laughs) Nigel. From what? (laughs) 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 Oh my god. So (laughs) The problem is the rebate never leaves. So you could and the other problem is, even if you'd have campaigned on the true figure it's not all going to go to the NHS anyway, so it was sort of doubly wrong. No, 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 but they did make it clear um, that it was uh, £100 million.
2: £100 million is what they've said. I mean, it depends who takes over, to be honest, uh, as to what they do. If it's Theresa May, that she was part of the Remain campaign, and it's up to her to decide how that money is going to be... So spent. Boris,
1: the guy you're supporting, will put £100 million extra a week into the NHS? That's what they said, yep. And I hold him to it, put his feet to the fire, or his hair, one or the other. i will be absolutely
2: certain <laughs> that uh, we said that... Uh, Um, £100 million to the NHS.
1: Extra a week? Yes. Do you have to believe that? Yes. Hold on, we'll we'll, we'll bring the audience in at some point. Um, I do, I do. I mean, it's £10
2: billion net. £10 billion is the net figure.
1: Well, do you think that's going to be part of his manifesto as Tory leader?
2: Um, Part
1: of this leadership campaign? Yeah,
2: well, he's got the hustings on uh, Monday, and we'll uh, hear what he's got to say. But, I mean, he was part of the... He was part of the Vote Leave campaign, and uh, I rather hope that he does uh, keep to his word on that.
1: Because George Osborne seems to be saying that actually there are going to need to be uh, public spending cuts and tax increases to cover the cost of Brexit. So Well, he said it could.
2: Now the pound's started to go back up again, and now the shares uh, have more than recovered. I mean, it doesn't need to happen. I mean... George was on Project Fear Overdrive. He, he, he really was, and it was a bit disturbing to listen to it, to be honest. I, I, what I now want to see is, instead of um, uh, British ministers talking Britain down, I want to see them talking Britain
1: up. I don't, but, uh, see, the thing is, I think, well, the, the, the things about these referendum campaigns, face like up Project Fear and talking Britain down, do a disservice to politics as a whole, because you have to be able to say, if you leave, there's a risk, and you have to be able to outline that without being called a fearmonger or a scaremonger. And actually, in terms of the value of the pound... <laughs> so is <laughs> the value of the pound he's soft your, your families
0: in <laughs> he's,
1: he's, he's, he's been vindicated hasn't he well no it's started to go up again we knew they always said that there would be
2: some shock to the system uh but you know short term and uh, the short term seems to have been two days uh and it's recovering it's you know it's what happens and i think that Um, we will, um, as I said, I've always believed that we're going to do well outside the uh, European Union, and that's exactly uh, what I expect to happen.
0: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax,
3: and think about
0: work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Uh, so as a conservative MP, you, you've got Boris potentially as your next leader and prime minister. Um, you must look across at the labor benches with, with, a certain, with a certain sense of relief. <laughs> Not really. I mean,
2: it's awkward. Uh, And it is... is. I actually like Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, I've known Jeremy for... I've been an MP for 24 years, so I guess I've known him for 24 years.
1: He's a sincere bloke. Yeah, most people who like him don't vote Labour either.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, what you see on the tin is what you get. He's never (laughs) pretended to be anything other than a rebel. Most rebels don't become leader of their party. Yeah. I mean, the three-quid membership. I've got <laughs> friends who joined the Labour Party in order to vote for Jeremy. Yeah. Uh, and the part of the problem is a lot more people joined afterwards. Uh, so, technically, it's absolutely true that um, Jeremy could appear, if, if it goes to this, right, Jeremy versus Angela Regal or Tom Watson, um, Jeremy could win again. He could. Yeah. But it's difficult. It's very difficult. When he stood up today, the only people that were cheering him were us. (laughs) You know? It's difficult when you stand up and nobody behind you. Was it Churchill who said, the opposition is in front of you, the enemy's behind you? (laughs) And 172 of them are, uh, are around him. And in fact, I was told today, of the 40 that voted for Jeremy, Because the question on the ballot paper was a complicated double negative, they think that there's at least five Labour MPs who voted the wrong way. Seriously, a Labour MP told me this today. He said, they voted the wrong way. There's more than
1: uh, 172. I spoke to a Labour MP, and I've been speaking to a lot of them this week, who said that if you could get away with it, and no one would find out, he would kill him. (laughs) (laughs) And I I said... (laughs) I said how? And he said he'd smother him with him with a copy of the nineteen eighty three
0: manifesto.
2: <laughs> oh, God. Well, to realise I think what's happened is that somebody has on a, a lovely silver tray given him a, a revolver and a glass of whiskey. Yeah. And he's drunk the whiskey and now he's gonna shoot the Labour Party. <laughs> <laughs> I mean seriously, that's where we are. Uh, I was on a radio station with Chris Evans, who's one of the Welsh Labour MPs, and he didn't pull punches. The guy said, he's got to go. He's killing the Labour Party. If he stays, he will absolutely kill the Labour Party. He said he's, full, he's filled our uh, constituents. He's full of momentum uh, people yeah. who hate their MPs, who are threatening their MPs. And that is, I, I, I do feel for him when he said it, I could see the passion in his face to, you know, you turn up at parliamentary Labour Party meetings in your constituencies these days, and you look down on a bunch of faces you do not know. And it's worrying for them. And these are the guys who are threatening Labour MPs that if they don't support Jeremy, they're going to kill them. They're going to deselect them. Yeah, so it, we're at a very, very pivotal moment now that if Jeremy does decide that he's going to stick at it because he thinks he can win um, a, a, a ballot of the parliamentary Labour Party, which he possibly could, um, then what the, the Labour Party's going to split. And how is it going to split? 172 of them are going to walk one way. And that just leaves Jeremy leading a rump of 40 or less which means that who, whatever is the new party will become the official opposition. And so Jeremy will lose his megaphone. <laughs> and it was all right for him to walk out of the uh, PLP meeting, as he did on Monday, to address thousands of uh, his uh, wonderful supporters in Parliament Square. But they hate him for it. They do. They despise him for it. It's, it's really um, interesting... To watch in, in many respects as to the intensity of feeling of his own MPs now that he is prepared to kill his own party in order for him to basically, you know, fight some class war that you know from the 1960s or 70s.
1: You've got him back, Nigel. <laughs> <laughs> that was <Lenbert>. LAUGHTER I wonder what was David Cameron's motivation today when he, I mean, spectacularly dealt with Corbyn. There was this line, if you haven't seen it at Prime Minister's Questions, where (laughs) he says, um, says, if you're talking about what happened during the referendum or whatever it is, and then he gets to about, um, Corbyn had made some jibe about him having only two months left. And he says, it might be in my party's interest that you sit, uh, that you stay sitting there, but it's not in the national interest. For heaven's sake, man, Go and it was this incredible dramatic moment and of course people immediately go, oh well he's doing that to shore up Corbyn and tell the stories but I genuinely watched it and thought he thinks if he's going to lose this job over the referendum then Corbyn should as well
2: Yeah, I, I mean people are intellectualising it as if um, David planned that so in order to shore up support for Jeremy Corbyn um, and uh, uh, somebody said that um, Corbyn actually tweeted it Yes, yes, right yeah, 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 I yeah. Mean, Bonkers uh, no, I think that I don't think it was scripted. I think it was something that David actually, genuinely, and passionately believed. I wasn't expecting it. I was sitting next to a guy called Chris Heaton Harris, and I and I turned to him and said, "Did he just say that?" I couldn't believe it myself that uh, that David was so direct.
1: How do you view Parliament? Then? Because you were Deputy Speaker for for a few years under John Burko. Do you enjoy the sort of? Uh, rambunctious moments of it, or do you think, actually, it does need to calm down? Ah, a bit of both. I mean, I know John John lectures the house uh, regularly
2: uh, about uh, us uh, behaving like children and uh, uh, the public don't like it and I don't like it and all that sort of stuff. And uh, um, uh, most of us think, actually, people don't mind a little bit of theatre, a little bit of, you know, the excitement, the cut and thrust, the gladiatorial bit. I mean, most of it is not like that. Most of it is, um, you know... Clause 36, uh, subsection 4, Amendment 5, you know, and it's all, oh, God, how boring is that? You know, a lot of it is like watching paint dry. So uh, once a week to get the house charged, I actually think it's okay. I mean, it's watched in America regularly because I've got a lot of American friends who tell me. They say it's on the comedy channel in in America. Uh, But no, they do. They they watch it on C-SPAN and um, it's it's got a bit of a following. I mean... Better that than the sterile atmosphere of some parliaments around the world, mm. including um, uh, the American uh, Congress, where you know it's, it's, it's that that is sterile and boring. Have you ever heckled in there all the time?
1: What I've it? not done animal noises. <laughs> what um, is it, are the particular people that you heckle or the particular heckles that you use? No, 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 no.
2: Um, I, mean, I remember once. Um, one of my mates um, shouting, this was years ago, he said, What village? And he was shouting it at Dennis Skinner. What village? What village? And Skinner eventually bit and said, What do you mean, what village? What village are you the idiot of? <laughs> <laughs>
1: So when you heckle,
2: what, what do you pick oh, up? It's one right, word, no, or... it's what it's what's coming to your mind. I mean the the three hundred and fifty million pound lie, yeah. as it's been termed, which means we now have to have a second referendum. And it's uh, you know uh, uh, one of it was well, what about the mayor of London? Within two weeks, you know, of him telling us that team fares weren't going to go up, what's happening? Team fares are going up. So if we're going to have a second referendum on Europe, we'll have a second. Uh, election about the mayor of London
1: you but know? he's bringing in a new cheap hopper ticket he? <laughs> but he is, he's bringing in that new hopper ticket where you can get around for like a five or something, for an hour Or oh, th- fantastic. Th- there is some sort of cheap so you can't inst- stay anywhere for longer than three minutes well, no, I mean I take your point but <laughs> it, it just felt like it was so crucial the 350 million that it was central almost I think that's why people p- feel specifically annoyed by that did I drag it back onto the 350 <laughs> no, million? am no. I like mad? Did I do that? So with, with, with Parliament then, did you, in terms of your own ambitions then, did you have initial ambitions for leadership within the Conservative Party? Oh God, what no, have... no, no, I love my country too much for that. But I thought, <laughs> I,
2: thought I could be Speaker. Uh, I enjoyed the job of Deputy Speaker, and I thought that when John's, uh, when John's days were over, that the uh, Parliament deserved to have a Conservative Speaker of the House of Parliament. <laughs> So, so we are where we are, uh, and uh, uh, that is not going to happen. So, uh, uh, I'll support uh, Lindsay Hoyle. I enjoyed it in the chair. I did. I mean, it's not going to happen for
1: for a very. No, I tell you reason. what, though,
2: I enjoyed it in the chair. But you know, when you're in the chair, you can't do speeches. Uh, you can't vote, and you can't make speeches. Uh, and. I am really yeah, I know it 's amazing yeah john john can 't make speeches, but we all know what he thinks Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Um, <laughs> no. uh, but i 'm um, perversely going through a little tricky uh, situation in my private life has now put me in a position where um, I was able to do what I did over the last three months and and doing what I'm doing now in the leadership of the Tory party, um, it is the cut and thrust of politics. It is a little, a little sort of detached
1: when you're in the Speaker's office. Um, you, you mentioned the, the, the trouble in your private life. You were um, accused of... Yeah, I, I did that to get you off the 350000000 <laughs> <laughs> about. million.
2: Let's talk about my sex life. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Went through 250 million of them. You, <laughs> um, but you were, you, were, you were accused of sex crimes and, and, and of rape. And it was uh, an incredible period. I remember watching it um, and following it closely that, that you went through. Um, you were later completely cleared. What was that like to go through? Uh... <laughs> Not the most pleasant moment in my life,
2: <laughs> let's put it that way, the knock on the door. Uh, I got tipped off the night before that uh, something might happen, and I, did, I didn't think in a million years. Didn't think in a million years. So half seven, the police knocked at the door and uh, arrested me there and then. And, um, uh, Handcuffs? No, they didn't do that. Uh, but they, I sat in a, um, a police cell for several hours um, when I walked in. Um, I mean, the last time I walked into that, uh, into that uh, police station was to do an MP visit, you know, just to see how things are. Uh, this time I was standing in front of a custody sergeant who was expecting me, uh, and they put me in a cell. They said I could be a few hours uh, whilst waiting um, for my solicitor to arrive. Uh, would I like something to read? And I said, yes, could I have the telegraph, please? good choice and he said ah well we've got the Daily Star or Nuts magazine
1: <laughs> you like, like I've already read Nuts
0: <laughs>
1: give them
2: they do they sent out for a Daily Telegraph and uh, I read the gardening section eight times
1: seriously I mean I didn't know what I was doing so then, what unfolded? They interview about these uh, alleged attacks. Was it yeah, obvious to you hours. at the time that it, these the, these were false and all the rest of it?
2: Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was my innocence that helped me get through it. Uh, and I, of course, they take everything off you, your mobile phone, so you don't know who's trying to get in touch with you or anything like that. And it lasted uh, from half seven in the morning till about ten something at night. My God. I mean, it was a hell of a hell of a long period. Uh, and, um, yeah, I mean, it was, um, it was incredibly stressful as they asked you question after question after question, uh, and um, they, I mean, they offered me food at lunchtime, and I, I just couldn't eat. I literally couldn't eat. I was just so distraught, and then as we left, uh, finally, the, um, uh, the police station, my solicitor had been contacted by a couple of friends who had uh, driven up from London, and um, the initial response, I mean, there were cameras outside, it's amazing how, how they get to know these things, isn't it? Mm. Um, uh, I mean, at least I didn't have to um, go through Cliff Richard uh, having your entire house ransacked while you're um, in Portugal watching it on TV live. I mean, it is staggering. And that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm um, trying to get anonymity till charge. It's not because of me. Uh, you know, I've gone through it now. And it's not because of Cliff Richard either, because he's gone through it. But it's for all the other people. And it's not just famous people. There's lots of not famous people who get accusations levelled against them. And it's as tortuous for them having their names in their local press as it is for me. And there were others, you know, like Ben Sullivan, the former president of Oxford Students' <coughs> Union, on the front page of the Daily Mail, uh, that they, even the u- university tried to remove him as president, whilst uh, the police hadn't even charged him. Incredible! The four agricultural students from Sirencester. I mean, think think of those guys, Uh, and uh, and even the police sitting on some information that they should have released. You know, all this needs to be sorted out. The police should never decide whether somebody's guilty or innocent. They should follow the evidence. And in the case of the four young students from Sirencester, these guys could have been put out of their misery many months ago. Instead of which, they were dragged to court. And when the information came out, that's when the Crown Prosecution Service decided uh, that they weren't going to put up a case. I mean, it's, it's torture. Um, it's absolute torture for people to go through uh, these sorts of uh, allegations. Um, where, um, you know, they're incredibly serious allegations as well. And it's not just the fact that you could go to prison. Uh, you lose your livelihood. You lose everything, quite frankly. Um, it, it's, it's, um, it's like, a, it's like uh, one of those trucks that I talked about earlier on hitting you every 30 seconds. Um, Jim Le- Davidson... At Le- least the vote did leave. <laughs> yeah. Jim Davidson phoned me because uh, he went through something similar. Jim wrote a book about it and Jim uh, said, Nigel, when you're not thinking um, about something else, you're thinking about this, and I was. And Paul Gambaccini, who's another friend of mine, uh, all built up We've almost got a dining club now of people who have been falsely accused. And Paul went through it for a year before, in the end, the police decided NFA. On the Cliff Richard stuff, it's quite interesting because Paul Gambaccini was contacted several days before the NFA was announced by the uh, Crown Prosecution Service by ITV to wonder where his whereabouts were going to be over the next few days because something big might be announced. Well, how the hell does that come out? That clearly was Cliff.
1: Yeah? It's, it, it was incredible watching you go through it. Um, and obviously from a public point of view, not knowing whether you were guilty or innocent. You know, there, no. there was, obviously, you just don't know as a member of the public when you're watching it on the news. How did the political class and your colleagues in Parliament treat you in between arrest and innocence? Oh, the vast majority were brilliant, of all political
2: parties. Ed Miliband uh, came up to me and had a chat with me and said, you know, give me support. Even Peter Mandelson uh, came up and gave me some uh, advice as well. So um, it, was, it was heartening, quite frankly, that at least for them, uh, being arrested and charged is not the same as uh, being tried and found guilty. So um, they, 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 they they've fairly well, you know, until you're found guilty, you were... At least, incredibly supportive, and I think themselves knew, you know, that it must be terrible pain. I mean, one of my colleagues, shortly after I was acquitted, uh, was arrested himself. You know, within a matter of weeks, was arrested, and uh, he had six weeks before um, he um, uh, was uh, no further action. I mean, there there was some, there there is some gallows humour in the whole thing. Uh, Shouldn't be, but there is. I mean, I, I was in um, the most high-secure court in Preston. It's where they used to try the terrorists. There was glass with slits in it, you know, just in case I tried something. I was there with a warder who uh, locked door to make sure that I didn't somehow run out, even though I had to get in the car every morning and drive there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then when it was over... Um, I then got back in a car and drove home, <laughs> but they locked the door during the period of uh, uh, the court session. Um, so you had that. You, I had the warder turned to me at one stage when we were before we got in, and she said, uh, "Do you remember the Ribble Valley by-election which I fought?" Her. I said, "Yes." She said, "Do you remember Lord S- David Such screaming, Lord Such, raving loony party?" I said, "Yes, yes, I do." I, I said, I, "I did a, a, a debate in." Uh, Uh, one of my villages, and uh, he turned up and he met Michael Heseltine there. And I thought, oh, God, you know, because Heseltine sometimes can be a bit aloof, but they they got on like a house on fire. And she said, I went to one of his discos. (laughs) I said, did you? He said, yeah, he gave me one of those raving loony notes. You know, euro they call them now. Uh, uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I said, oh, really, yeah. Next day, she brought it in to show me. I thought, this is surreal. I'm here, you know, up on a charge, and my freedom is at stake, and I've got the warder
1: showing me uh, political memorabilia from (laughs) 1992. And then, in terms of getting found innocent on the day, I mean, were you genuinely worried that something could go wrong and you could end up going to prison? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you didn't know. I mean, you're in the hands of a jury, 12 people who, uh,
2: if they were all poker players, I tell you what, they'd be brilliant. They'd be millionaires, those guys. Uh, I looked at them regularly. They looked at me. Um, Lembert. Yeah. Uh, Lembert, um was a witness for the prosecution.
3: I was. What?
2: You can hiss, please. I hiss. Was. What? Yeah. Not so, the rest. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, I
1: realise it. So,
0: so well, what... I know. I,
2: I, I, I'm afraid those of you who are a, a little um, timid may have to block your ears at the moment. Um, because. Oh, God. Um, in, <laughs> as, as the case went on, and, and, and at the end, I mean, this is all news to me, you know, because I, I haven't sat through a trial before, so it's always good to sit there. You know, I was, I was there at, at the beginning. I couldn't hear some of the things people were saying, so they gave me headphones so I could hear more clearly. And in half an hour, I realised that. I looked as if I was in the Nuremberg Trials. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I thought I prefer not to hear what they're saying <laughs> yeah. rather than to look like a, you know, a Nazi criminal. So I yeah. took him off. I mean, God, it was awful. Anyway, so at, right at the end, all the, the, the judge actually does a summation as to what he thinks went on because he makes copious notes. And at one stage, Lem, Lembit um, was passing somebody who um, somebody referred to you I'm not going to say the word, you say it. Well, I, I, the judge what? said, c- called you... I, c- I can't say it, can I? You're going to have to, to say it. it. Oh, sure? you can, can I?
0: Yeah.
2: Are you, all those who think I should say it, say aye. 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 All those who think I shouldn't say, no. Oh, the eyes have it, the eyes have it. <laughs> I haven't lost you it. You are going to. it, I yeah, yeah, lost yeah. <laughs> <laughs> refer, refer, referred to the speaker as a fucking cunt.
0: It was to
1: me as a cunt. Oh, that's what it was. So, uh, and then Mr
0: Wright
2: right, <laughs> said... <sir. laughs> he said... Yeah, that's right. That's right. It was actually a reference. It was to the speaker about Lembert being a fucking cunt. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> All, oh, 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 hold on hold on a minute. All those who think Lambert's a fucking cunt say aye. <laughs> aye. All those who think he's not say no. The eyes, him, the
0: eyes
2: you are. Anyway. So, <laughs> so the judge my, my defense stood up and said with respect, my lord. uh they didn't call Mr. Opik a fucking cunt. <coughs> They called him a fucking dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, my
0: this God. This is true.
2: That is actually true. And, I, I mean, <laughs> you, you couldn't make... Only in a court in England could you get something. I, I mean, even the jury was laughing. Uh, and, uh, but, right, go, to go back to your original question... Oh, but that's
0: such um, a good... Oh, no, no. <laughs>
2: Can anybody remember what the They're original asking. question was? <laughs> anyway, um, it was Wednesday afternoon yeah. after five weeks of this tedium uh, of listening to all this stuff. Um, and actually, Lembit was for the prosecution. They, they wanted him there because uh, the police said you'd heard something. Uh, and they, they, only the police could fly Lembit Opec back easy jet on a £350 ticket one way. Yeah, you wonder where all your money's going, and then they put him on a train economy, 180 pound the other way. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible how you know how that all went. So when when the jury went out uh, on the Wednesday uh, afternoon, uh, uh, when it came to about four thirty, we were all dismissed. So the next day was Thursday, and. Um, we got back in, and the judge made it absolutely clear to the jury that uh, come back with a decision whenever you like, or indeed come back and ask for clarification, which means we would all been dragged back in. But at one o'clock when I go for lunch, don't think you're going to drag me back from lunch at yeah. one o'clock. I mean, seriously, the judge made it absolutely clear, when lunch starts, it finishes, and then you can call me back again at two o'clock. So... Um, I can tell you with great authority, Preston has the most worst um, restaurants anywhere in Britain. I ate at this Ita- uh, pizza hut for, for most of the trial, because we only had about an hour and a bit to, to go. Buffet but on, lunch at lunchtime, though. But on this one, <laughs> on this one occasion, we, we, we ate at a different <laughs> Italian and I would phoned uh, the... It's Stro- <laughs> true.
0: And I phoned,
2: I phoned the chief whip, and I said, if I am found guilty of the most minor of uh, the charges, I'm resigning immediately as a Member of Parliament. So don't expect me to carry on. And he said, all right, I, I understand that fully. Uh, and as we walked back on the Thursday afternoon, towards 2 o'clock, giving the judge plenty of time, he didn't eat at the same restaurants as us, uh, I uh, was turned to my researcher and I said, what happens if the jury's made a decision? What are the chances they've come back? We'll see. We got to the front door of the court and uh, Group 4 security... Uh, said court one has been recalled. Uh, It's the same court that uh, Bill Roach was uh, tried in as well, by the way, Coronation Street. And so um, I said, why? He said, well, we don't know. It's just been recalled. So they could have been recalled for a clarification from the judge on a direction. When we got to the front door, um, it's been recalled and they've got a verdict. And so I was led back into the room The door was locked. I've just been out, right? I've just been out to an Italian restaurant in Preston. And I didn't run then, but they still locked the door. This time, there were another two warders in the room. Now, I've never clearly been in this position before, and I thought, they must have told somebody what the result is, and they've got another two warders to hold me down as I go berserk at the verdict. I mean, that's what you I initially are. thought. Yeah. What are you going to think when another two people... There's three people in there now. Um, you, you know, I've got the water with the raving loony money and two of them mates <laughs> from group Group four to hold me
1: down. Maybe, because you'd had a pizza buffet lunch, maybe it's to hold you up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's another... I didn't drink for five weeks. Oh, it's yeah, good, no. good for the old health. I, gave, I, I, gave getting... up
2: alcohol. I put on weight. I don't know, is that all those pizzas? <laughs> but anyway, so so... Um, they lead me out into this area. We wait for the judge to come in. The court rises, the court sits and all that. And then um, the jury come in. And I'm looking at them and I can't tell. Except the foreman of the jury has come in without any notes or paper with him at all. And he's giving the verdict. And I thought, he's either an intelligent chappy um, who remembers what count one, three, seven, and nine are, or they're all going to be the same. So, they start reading them out one by one. And I'm standing there, because you have to stand for the verdict. And I knew them backwards. I knew what one, three, seven, nine was. And I listened to them one by one, as he said, not guilty, as each one was read out. And, I mean, some of them were historical uh, and, you know, ridiculous because the evidence there was totally contrary. Uh, People were telling evidence against one another who were in the same room as me. Um, And then when we got to five, that was, I thought, one where the evidence might have been more tricky for them. And then six. And when six was read out as not guilty, and, and by this time, the foreman of the jury had a little rhythm to him. Yeah. Count one. Uh, not guilty. Count two. Uh, not guilty. Count three. Uh, not guilty. And my head was starting to nod with it uh, as he was reading them out. But when it got to seven, eight, nine, that was the rape. And that's where the man had said that he lied. He conceded he lied to the police. And I thought, if six is not guilty, then seven, eight, and nine are going to be not guilty. And when six was read out as not guilty, I cried. I didn't expect to. Uh, I mean, literally, I didn't have any hanky on me or anything. Uh, My favourite warder with the raving loony money had a box of tissues. (laughs) This must happen on a regular basis. (laughs) And she handed me some uh, hankies and I cried. She unlocked the door. But I didn't know what to do. She didn't sort of beckon me out of the uh, room because the judge was still talking. He was talking, thanking the jury for everything that they'd done and all that sort of stuff. And so I sort of wandered in a daze out into the courtroom and one of my mates came from the public gallery, grabbed me and dragged me out of the courtroom. And, I mean, loads of my friends out there, my family, uh, my sister had taken a couple of weeks off work. It was, she, it was only going to take one week but because it, cause it got, went on a bit. Uh, her boss allowed her another week and all that. And we, I mean, a lot of us were crying. Um, uh, and um, it was such an amazing relief uh, to, to, to hear the fact that um, a jury had listened to all the evidence and had decided that on the basis of probability, I was not guilty. And I... You know... Uh, Has it affected you since? Yeah. In what way? Um, The Eddie Stobart truck doesn't hit me at 2 o'clock in the morning anymore. I just hear the honking sounds now. <laughs> um, no, I've, I've got tinnitus of sorts in the years, which came about halfway through the process. Stress-related. Um, stress, yeah, I can't get rid of it. Uh, so I've still got that. Uh, and at times, I, yeah, when I'm on my own, I, I, I think of what went on and uh, how it was and what could have been. So, um, yeah, it does affect you. There's no two ways about it. You talk, if you read Paul Gambaccini's book, he talks about the anger that he got. I mean, Cliff Richard, on the floor, crying. I mean, this is what, what happens uh, when people uh, have the most hideous of allegations made against them. And you know that some people go, oh, no smoke without fire, there must be something there. Oh, we always knew something funny about him. Um, you know, and you know that uh, forever and a day, I know that uh, when I die, uh, uh, there will be, ...chunks of my obituary, which will be this. You know? And it's not
1: nice. But you've... ...since then, I mean, almost now... ...in politics... It's not referred to, is it? And you, like when I watch the Parliament Channel and I see you on TV, it's not the first thing that springs to mind. So it's. No. And it doesn't spring to mind. So it feels like politics has sort of dealt with it.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, what dealt with is it With it was um, uh, being reselected by my association. And if you think what I went through, to think that my association, right, uh, Tory association, everybody thinks they're incredibly stuffy people, age 70 or over. Shouldn't have, a, shouldn't have the vote to leave. <laughs> when people say about Jeremy Corbyn, did he vote leave? Well, he was the right age demographic, wasn't he? Let's leave fair. All he needed more was to drive a truck, and then he would have been there.
0: Um,
2: so you, you would think you know, that I was on very, very thin ice, and with some of them I was. But they, they reselected me, and then I thought, oh, now I've got the general election to go through where, you know, there was a person who stood as an independent, no more Nigel. That was his campaign, no more Nigel. Uh, so, a bit personal. Yeah. And uh, I was the only Nigel on the ballot paper. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wish there'd been two. <laughs> and uh, uh, and uh, I got the second best majority I've ever had since I've, you know, been Member of Parliament for the seat. So, my God, you know, I, uh, they're again incredibly emotional to have the faith of your... Uh, electorate. So, in many ways, I think that was drawing the line under it. But, I, of course, people still refer to it. And um, the fact that I st- I'm campaigning on anonymity till charge means that whenever I do
1: radio or TV, it always gets mentioned. Yeah, and yeah. interviews like this that are full of people. So, <laughs> I, I, I apologise for that. Um, we'll take some questions to the crowd. Uh, so, if you uh, indicate clearly, we've got a roving mic... Um, we're a little bit pushed for time, so if we can ask for one-sentence questions and one-sentence answers, if that's all right, Nigel and everyone, yeah. and then we'll whiz through. Yes, the lady over there. Me? Yes, and if you give your name, that'd be perfect. Thank you.
3: My name is Sabina Vankova. I'm from Bulgaria. and my What are
1: you still doing here? <laughs>
0: yeah, <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> By the
3: way, I'm we not, love you. I'm not we going love you. anywhere for now. Uh, my question is in, your first, uh, in the first part of this um, uh, evening you said that you campaigned for leave because you wanted Brits to make laws for Brits and in the second part you complained about a certain law which caused you, caused you trouble and that was not right. Uh, in Bulgaria um, nobody can be arrested because somebody said something. Uh, in in your case, if you lived in Bulgaria, probably they would give you a warning not to leave the country. But you wouldn't be arrested, uh, especially provided that you're an MP and people have trusted you to represent them and so on. So, don't you see the contradiction here?
1: Tell that guy <laughs> to chill out.
3: <laughs> the contradiction, first you campaign for Brits to make laws for Brits, and then you complain from these laws.
1: Yeah. Okay,
2: and
3: so I,
1: what I said one se- I meant short
2: sentences. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's not an, a European Union competence, uh, fortunately, what we're talking about. It's a British law. And uh, what I want to do is get it back where it was in the 1980s in the United Kingdom. They decided to change it for all sorts of reasons. Uh, and I think the, uh, a little bit like the European Union, the experiment has gone on too long. Uh, and we've now got the opportunity. We could have done it even if we'd remained within the European Union to have changed the law. I think what we need to do clearly is to look at the Bulgarian law, because I'm sure you can teach us lots of
1: things uh, about things where, you know, you're doing it better than we are. What do you have? Yes, the fellow right at the back of the middle. And please, quick one-sentence uh, question. Okay, quick. Sorry, hi, Scott. Um, I feel like you fought an incredibly divisive campaign that has divided our country based on a huge amount of lies. have had a go at the other side for scaremongering whenever they told you there'd be negative impacts of what's happened. Now there have been. I'm seeing that already in the job that I do in the city that I work in. And we're seeing it around the country where people are being attacked. It seems to me that people like you hold a lot of responsibility for that but now suddenly everything's pretty funny and you can have a go at uh, Remainers because they're not taking the result well. And it doesn't feel like you're taking responsibility for what you've done.
2: Well, yeah. It's a, I, mean, it's a, it, it, I mean, it's a fair fair point as far as the accusation that you don't uh, like the way that the campaign was run. I mean, in many ways, I don't either. I mean, that hideous poster uh, from... Right next to the guy who did it. Yeah, well...
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But to it. be
2: honest, I stood next to Farage before then. We, we had we. He wasn't part of the Vote Leave campaign. He was doing his own stuff. And I thought that that poster uh, of Syrian refugees uh, was shameful. Should never, ever have been allowed. And quite frankly, Nigel Farage should be ashamed of himself uh, for for portraying um, that as uh, as what he did. I mean, it was it was absolutely uh, totally regrettable. Um, But you know as well as
1: I do that it worked though, didn't it?
2: Well, you know, there are all all sorts of things that worked. And in the end I think you've got to accept the fact that 1.4 million more people decided that they just wanted out. I mean, what we don't want uh, I think what the British people don't want um, is to be members of the European Union. For me, the clue was in the question on the ballot paper and then the other clue was in the result. And I think fairly well, if Juncker has accepted it, then I think we could accept it too. you know? Um, I, think, I think the I main problem to, was that you didn't fight the campaign I on you that, what, that though, question. I, Is you what, I had to wait. I, I wasn't happy about the way that Britain was dragged into the European Union in 1973 by Ted Heath, right? Without any referendum, people were dragged into the European Union. He knew what was happening, it was, good. It, it, it was a political project. I had to wait 41 years Post the 1975 referendum for the second one. 41 years, you know? So
1: let's just see how we do. Okay, Uh, the gentleman with the sky blue shirt with his arm in the yeah, Uh, the microphone's come in. Hi Nigel, you were asked um, why Boris would make a great Prime Minister, and you said he has lots of people crowding round him unlike anyone else. But what about what he actually thinks and believes about anything at all? What about those things do you think makes him a potentially great Prime Minister?
2: Well, you know, one of the things that he did was the living wage for uh, people in London before the rest of the United Kingdom. Um, so he, he does actually get it. I, I don't think that he is an isolated politician in any way, shape or form. Um, uh, and I said that, you know, uh, how, what he's done for London, I think, was tremendous over the eight years. Nobody seemed to complain about the way that he performed as Mayor of London. Uh, I, think, I think he was pretty good. So he's got a track record uh, of um, controlling uh, the budgets and the policies of one of the, well, the most important city in Europe, as far as I'm concerned. I love I love London. Uh, and this guy did pretty well at the helm of it. So he's got he's got track
1: record. OK. Uh, yes, the lady next to the post.
3: Uh, hi, Nigel. Uh, can you give your views on Boris Johnson's opinion on the Kenyan ancestry of the leader of the United States?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> what? You mean where Where was he born?
3: Uh, no, just your opinion on how it reflects on Boris as a politician when he's calling into question the Kenyan ancestry and therefore where... Oh, did he? The, yeah, he quite yes. famously did. Oh, yeah, right, sorry. A, yeah. <laughs>
2: sorry. I tell you what, Right. I actually think Well, it's wrong if he's done that. Uh, I think Barack Obama has been a breath of fresh air for the United States of America. I think he's superb. And I suspect that there are a lot of Americans today staring at Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and thinking, my God, I wish we could have a third term for a president of the United States. Think about it. I suspect the vast majority of Americans would vote Barack Obama for a third term. Than either of the two candidates that he's uh, contesting
1: the presidency at the moment. Is there anyone on the balcony that would like to ask a question? Please wave if you do. Yes, there's a lady up there. We're we're going to get a microphone up to you. Tim's going to run around. Just please wait for the microphone and we'll... It's this lady right in the middle here, Tim.
3: (laughs) Hi, Nigel. Also Irina from Bulgaria.
0: Yay! We love you. We love you.
3: Thank you. Even if the pound were to recover tomorrow, given the amount of negotiations they're going to have to spend on, do you think that there wouldn't be any negative implications for public sector reforms and for public sector spending in the country?
2: No, I don't. I I think that we are going to see some short-term turbulence, no no doubts about that. Uh, That's already there, but... Um, there has been a recovery already within stocks and shares and uh, in the pound. And I, um, I, I just simply do not uh, foresee when you've got the number of countries that want to do trade deals with the United Kingdom. The number of countries within the EU are already talking about holding their own referendums as well. Um, I, don't, I don't foresee any uh, major difficulties for the United Kingdom
1: in uh, having taken the decision that they have. I really don't. I hope... I hope you're right. Let's have one last question. Is there anyone else on the balcony? Yes, the chap right there. There's the final question of the night.
3: Uh, and I, joke, I think uh, John Burkow has been a fantastic speaker and I think he's been a breath of fresh air. Would you, what would you do differently? And What would you agree that Burkow has been a breath of fresh air?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, John, John is the Marmite speaker of the House of Commons. You either love him uh, or you don't. <laughs> uh, and, you don't, uh, really. <laughs> uh, I mean, um, he has is, he is definitely transformed uh, the way that we do question time and questions in the house. I'll give you... I, uh, listen, the guy is super normal. You know that, don't you? Um, he has sat in the speaker's chair at one stage, I think it was for eight hours continuously. It's
1: during the Libya debate.
2: I mean, seriously, eight hours without going to the toilet. Um, <laughs> In the good old days, the speaker's chair was a commode. Uh, There never were any deputies. And so they would pull a curtain in front of him, hence the canopy there, and uh, the speaker would go to the toilet while things were going on. And then the curtain would come back and uh, a beaming speaker would smile. And uh, and the stench from the Thames would have hidden any uh, repercussions from uh, what had just been discharged. So I mean, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's <laughs> so he's been super normal in so many ways. Uh, he um, this, the, David Cameron on Monday said one of the things he's not going to miss is three-hour statements uh, because the Speaker makes absolutely certain that on these major issues uh, the Prime Minister stands at that dispatch box and answers a question from everybody. Anybody who stands gets to ask a question.
3: Isn't that what's Parliament there for?
2: Yeah, but it never happened in the past. Michael Martin. Doesn't mean he do was right. Michael Martin would do an hour and that would be it. And if you didn't get in, tough. Uh, and so he has absolutely transformed, I believe, the one major thing that Parliament is all about. And that is holding the executive to account. And for that, that one reform alone, I think uh, John Berker will go down in the history books as being one of the great speakers we've had. Totally agree.
1: Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Pizza Hut is still open for another half hour, so <laughs> we'd better get down there. Um, thank you all very much for coming. Uh, again, I'm sorry about the EU th- event that was cancelled. I'm going to try and reschedule that before the summer and do something either here in the bigger room or uh, at the Leicester Square Theatre. So do check out the website and my Twitter feed at Matt Ford. Um, we're back here for Definite in September when the guest is Nick Clegg. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> For the benefit of the tape, Lembert Opick just booed. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> he didn't just <laughs> boo, yeah. he, wrote, he wrote a book about it. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have a number of guests that we can't yet announce before Christmas, but some major names have already said uh, that they will definitely do it. So uh, always check Twitter for um, the guests. As always, you've been a phenomenal crowd, and thank you for continue to, uh, continuing to support the night. So thank you, one and all, for coming. And please give a massive thank you to Nigel Evans. Yeah. Well, there you go. That was the Nigel Evans episode. Uh, Nigel was, I think it's fair to say, a great sport throughout, even when uh, you could feel uh, the crowd sort of turning on him. And I I really feel like this, as I'm sure you do, that there are forces that have been unlocked by this referendum that even calm, rational people are are struggling to deal with. And it it has unlocked a level of anger and frustration within people that at the moment, I think, it is not being addressed, certainly not by any of the leaders uh, of uh, the two main parties in any way that is uh, serious. Uh, and this is why this vacuum at the moment... I mean, by the time you listen to this, who knows? Labour might have a new leader, uh, and so might the Conservatives, depending on how far in the future you listen to this. But at this point in British history, there is definitely uh, a mood. And therefore, um, I, I'm looking to do a special event... Um, as soon as I can, either at the St. James Theatre or the Leicester Square Theatre, in lieu of the one that uh, sadly had to be uh, cancelled um, as a result of the awful murder of Joe Cox. So that there is an opportunity, actually, in in sort of great numbers, to talk to people from both sides of the campaign and try and really figure out what happens next to this country. So uh, follow me on Twitter, at Matt Ford, and I will announce stuff as and when on there. The next political podcast um, will be done from Edinburgh uh, during the festival in August. And then the next one at the St. James Theatre in September is Nick Clegg. Uh, I've got some very exciting guests uh, who've agreed to do it. I just need to tie them down to dates and, as always, I'll announce those on Twitter. So uh, thanks very much for downloading. And whichever side of the referendum debate you were on, I hope this provided some um, chamomile
0: and uh, helped people calm down a little. So, see you next time.